Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Last First Date Radio, featuring interviews with experts in dating, relating, and mating in midlife. And now, here's your host, Sandy Weiner. Hello, everybody. Wow, this is our first show after the new year. I hope you all had a lovely New Year's. I spent a very low-key New Year's Eve with my two old, older children. Well, they're not older. They're my two, two of my adult children. Um, watching movies and then watching the ball drop, and it was perfect. Bowl of popcorn, um, just right for me. So whatever, whatever makes you happy is what you should be doing. And let's uh, talk about what we're going to be listening to today, which is um, a fabulous conversation with author Lance Secretin, Secretin, I hope I got that right, Um, or Secretin, Secretin, I think. (laughs) Um, We're going to talk about how to have deep, loving, sacred relationships. And Lance, this is actually a new thing for Lance. He is a leadership guy, and um, we're going to learn all about him in a minute. And I want to just thank you for joining us today because Last First Date Radio is a show about achieving healthy, happy, off-the-charts love in the second half of life. And as a dating coach, I really work with men and women, but I do specialize in helping women date as the high-value women that they are in every other part of their lives. Because I truly believe that when somebody knows their true worth, they attract their most aligned best partner. And most women who come to me for support are incredible mothers. If they have children, they are successful out there in the workforce, but they have challenges when it comes to romantic relationships. And what I see as a dating coach is a few mistakes that people make over and over again that they're not even aware of. And I know I've made them myself, so I learned from my mistakes, and I'm here to help you not make the same mistakes over and over again. And one of the biggest mistakes that I've seen women make in particular is to talk about how crazy busy they are to the men that they're meeting. And yes, we all have full lives. Hopefully your life is filled with wonderful things. But if you talk about crazy busy, you are actually talking about a life that's too full for a man to fit into it. So for men or women, if you're talking about busyness, it's often a way to numb yourself. And if you do really want a relationship, you have to make it clear to your potential significant other that you are prioritizing relationships and you will make time for them, even though you have a full, wonderful life. So sometimes it's just a little tweak of a word that can make all the difference between somebody leaving a date saying, oh, wow, I really want to go out with that person again, or saying, you know what, that person is seems wonderful, but there's something off and I'm you know, not going to ask that person out again. So I want you to find love in 2016, and that's why I created a free guide where I explain the top three mistakes that midlife daters make and how you can turn them around so you can find lasting love. It's my gift to you, and if you'd like a copy, go to lastfirstdate.com. That's lastfirstdate.com and sign up on my homepage. I also want to invite 
all the women out there who are over 40 and single to my newest Facebook group, which is called Your Last First Date. So you go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Your Last First Date. And you can ask for me to join, to to accept you and approve you. Um, It is a fantastic group. It's totally free to join. And the conversation is just totally bursting at the seams. People are talking about relationship issues, questions about dating, and I'm there to weigh in on tons of topics. So if you'd like some of my personal advice, go to your last first date in Facebook groups because I want you to go on your last first date. We are proud to be sponsored by audible.com and uh, if you would like a free first month plus a free Audible book, go to audible.com forward slash last first date. There are over 180,000 books on tape, and they are fabulous for when you're working out, for when you're driving, for when you're going anywhere. I absolutely love to read with my ears as well as my eyes. So if you're like me, go to audible.com forward slash slash last first date. And now for our fabulous guest. Lance Secretan is renowned worldwide as a prolific author of best-selling books on leadership and as an advisor, coach, and mentor to leaders. He holds a master's degree from the University of Southern California and a PhD in international relations from the London School of Economics. He's the 1999 recipient of the International Caring Award from the Caring Institute. He's an expert skier, kayaker, mountain biker, and an avid trail hiker, and he divides his time between Ontario and Colorado. So let's welcome Lance to the show. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Pleasure to have you. Um, How do you pronounce your last name? I'm sorry. Well, you finally got it. Secretary. I did. <laughs> Secretary. Okay. okay. So let us talk. You you went from a career in leadership to writing this book called Love Story. Um, and um, so, what what made you write this book? Let's talk about that first. Well, I I'm still very actively engaged in leadership, and so I'm I'm a coach to leaders all over the world. And I do a lot of work as continuing to do so in that field. But two years ago, I lost my soulmate, and it broke my heart. And my history, actually, is that I lost a daughter. I have three daughters, and I lost one of those, one of my daughters, when she was 19. And I remember at the time thinking, I can't be morose about this. I am morose, and I am melancholy, and I am sad, and I am brokenhearted, but I have to turn this somehow into something that can be useful for other people. And I did at the time. And so when I lost my wife, 30 fabulous, fabulous years, and indeed a second uh, half of life uh, experience, I decided to write a book about the story and uh, of our life. And I had been writing, my wife's name was Trisha. I'd been writing poetry for her over the 30 years. I pulled out all that poetry, cleaned it all up, and wrote a narrative of the journey about how we met and how she passed away, and the 30 years in between woven around those poems. Mm. 
That's a lot of loss. Um, and I, I'm sorry for your two the big losses. That's that's really a lot more than many people have ever experienced. And um, I I lost a son as well, so I can relate to wanting to make something positive out of the mm-hmm. um, out of the trials because I did mm-hmm. the same thing. I think that it gives you some sense of um, I don't know for you, but for me it gave me a sense of of finding meaning and um, hopefully influencing other people to also move on with their lives and um, and look for the positives and control what they could. Yes. Well, the other uh, yeah. thing about this, I think, is that everybody who knew us envied our relationship. And more uh, times than I can possibly count, people said, I wish I could have a a devoted relationship like you have. And we were just the envy of everybody. So I I knew I wanted to share that. How did we get that? What were the secrets? How did that happen? And offer the hope to people that they too can have exactly the same. We weren't special. We we just made it special. But lots of people could do this. So let's talk about how you did make it special. What were some of the secrets to making it so special and deep and loving? Well, of course, the book, uh, Trish and I actually began, we knew he had something special, so we began to write a book. Uh, as far as we got was bullet points. But I took some of those, and they're in the book, A Love Story. But, you know, there are a few things, I think. I think it's very important to be curious. I think when we get stale, I think uh, that's one of the big sins in a relationship, Uh, If you think about the comparison between, shall we say, the first few months of a new relationship and what that looks like 10 years later, it's really sad. It should look the same 10 years later as it did in the first few months. And you have to really work on that. Uh, But it is exciting Mm -hmm. when things are fresh and new and exciting and passionate all the time. So that's one thing. I think you have to be happy for other people, for the other person. Uh, whatever it is they're doing, share in their joy and celebrate that. I think Trish was amazing at that, and I tried to be the same for her. Um, <clears throat> I think the other thing, another thing, is that you have to have separate lives, and yet only one life, if you see what I mean. It's being separate and one. So seamless in your l- relationship together, indistinguishable from each other, and yet in your own worlds, you have your own lives and do your own things the way you want them to do. Um, I think vulnerability is important. I think intimacy, of course, is important. And devotion. You know, Trish and I had a devoted relationship where, for example, my employees would talk to Trisha and say, I need to talk to you about Lance. I'm having an off day with him. And Trisha would say, fine, you know, I'd love to talk to you about that, but you need to know this. We have no secrets. We are one. Whatever you tell me, I will be telling him. So don't try and think that you can say something to me that won't get to him or that, you know, you're going to split us. That's never going to happen. We are one. Mm-hmm. So those are some of the thoughts, I think, that that are important. I could probably carry on for hours and hours. I mean, rituals are another very, very important part of, of, a, of a great relationship. Mm. These are all terrific, and the funny thing is this morning on Facebook I saw a short video with Esther Perel um, talking about your top three, um, the secrets to a happy relationship, to a good, successful relationship where curiosity, being happy, 
for your mm. partner, treasuring mm-hmm. the happiness of your partner, um, yeah. even if it has nothing to do with you, right. and um, maintaining personal lives. And I think that um, one of the beauties of, of dating at this age, over 40, 50, 60, is that you know yourself so much better and that you do have a separate life, hopefully, that you can maintain so you have an interdependent relationship and not a yes. codependent one. Um, so these are all terrific. Um, I yeah. can see why you had a good, great relationship with her. Um, so let's talk about rituals. So, um, yeah, what do you mean by rituals? I mean, rituals are helpful in, in our daily life in general. And so how does it make a relationship stronger? Well, I think there's a certain consistency of some things that you you discover that you like and therefore want to repeat them. Uh, so play, you know, is a very important uh, component. Uh, I write about this in the book quite a bit. Uh, for example, whenever I would travel, I travel a lot. So whenever I would travel, Trish would write a little card for me and hide it in my luggage. And whenever I left, I I would also do the same. So I would hide it uh, by the shampoo in her shower because I knew she would take a shower in the morning, or by the cream in her uh, in the fridge because I knew she would have a coffee in the morning, or under her pillow when she went to sleep, or by you know deep in the bed where her toes would find it. So you know that I can tell you I have boxes and boxes and boxes of cards that I could probably mm-hmm. read forever. You know, 30 years of travel. And all those cards. That was a ritual. Uh, Sitting it down together at the end of the day and watching the sunset and having a cocktail together. You know, those kinds of things were rituals. And we had so many of them. And uh, just the celebration of of a full moon or, you know, some astrological uh, momentous moment or whatever it might be. But the, the rituals were frequent hiking, kayaking. We did all those things together. We met skiing. Uh, So... Those are the sorts of rituals. And, and by the way, surprises are a wonderful ritual. Not surprises that take somebody down, but surprises that little gifts or little uh, like a dinner or a movie, things where the other person doesn't know. And this adds to the excitement and passion and surprise and keeps it alive and fresh and beautiful. Absolutely. Uh, I, I think that rituals also make your relationship much more uniquely yours uh, and they create like a sacred space for the two of you. Yeah, you're you know, so right. You're relying on that, yeah. right? And you're I so have a right. friend I'd... who... Yeah, go ahead. No, go on. No, I was just going to say I have a friend who has a cocktail with her husband every night. It was re- you mm-hmm. were reminding me of that. They they drink tequila together and she she came to visit me and she goes, do you have any tequila? <laughs> I'm like, I don't really drink. <laughs> So she went out and bought a bottle of tequila because she's so right. used to having this ritual with her husband. That's um, right. Anyway, what were you going to say? It gives you a chance also to, to share what went on in your day because since you're living separate lives, or at least you have separate accomplishments and aspirations that are going on, you can't keep each other up to date all day long. So, I think, Well, I was going to say the other thing about this is that more than anything else in a relationship, we want to feel completely confident in the other person. This is the one person in the world I trust more than any other. And rituals help to secure that in a way. I know I can rely on this person for a sundowner or for a kayak trip or for a surprise or for fun or for play or for a card. 
this is, you know, that sense of security. I am totally safe and reliable and consistent here. It's the only place in my life probably where that's absolutely so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's so important, and it's it's rare, I find, to to find a relationship where a person feels that way. Um, yes. You know, I think what's lacking in, in most relationships is that feeling of um, we're a team, that yes. we are together and we have each other's back. And I think, you know, the women who come to me for support are had been in relationships where they felt they were carrying the weight of the relationship and not getting the support from their husband. Yeah. And what happens, unfortunately, is that people stop believing that that exists. And so it's important for people like you to share these kinds of stories because this type of love exists, and maybe it doesn't exist every day, but if you're aware of what the components are to a healthy, happy, loving relationship, then you can create it. Perfect. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, let's talk a little bit about uh, relationships out there in the business world. Um, You and I started having this conversation for a few minutes before we started Mm -hmm. today. And um, it's something that I've noticed and that you brought up, that a lot of people who are successful leaders who are out there in the world doing amazing work do not have successful relationships. So what do you think... Uh, is the cause of that? Well, I think uh, my work, that's my world. I live with leaders all over the world, presidents of countries and companies, uh, organizations, universities, hospitals, and so on. This is where I live. So my world is is, is in a very intimate relationship <clears throat> with those people. Now, I don't have data on this, but my anecdotal experience is that about 60% of those leaders don't have a good relationship, either with their spouse or with their kids. And I think the main reason is that they have a priority list which puts the spouse down the list, not at the top of the list. And this is number one fundamental mistake. You know, as I said earlier, the partner that you're with has to be the most important thing, person, subject, object, friend on the planet. I just want to read you uh, a, one of the poems from the book, short one. It's called Two Souls, One, one Flame. Mm. If you've never loved another so deeply that you poured your entire contents of your soul into theirs, and if you've never been loved by someone who poured the entire contents of their soul into yours, then you've not yet lived life as it was ordained. Love is life. If you haven't loved, you haven't lived. Mm. Now, you see, executives often think, because they're the CEO of a big world-changing organization, that they've lived. But truthfully, if you haven't loved, you haven't lived. And so the priority gets mixed up, and I think it's a very hard thing to to convince a, a driven executive that more time with their spouse, more commitment, more devotion, more trust, more intimacy, more vulnerability is an investment they should be making. Mm-hmm. I think that balance is really hard for most people. And I actually speak to a lot of my fellow businesswomen friends, and the ones who are spending the time devoted to spouse, devoted to their children, um, cooking the good meals, really you know, going to their kids' games, 
making time um, in a lifestyle business for the things that matter most to them. Um, they may not be making a gazillion dollars. You know, they may not be focusing 100% and all their free time on their business, but their lives are so much richer to me. Yes. And and that's, at the end of our lives, that's what we look back on. And I think we can, we can get lost easily, um, especially there's also a lot of looking out and comparing and thinking that this is what success is and I don't know about you, but I read I read things on Facebook by successful people who talk about spending all their free time thinking and focusing on business, and and I feel bad. I mm-hmm. feel like yeah. you know you see that imbalance and you wonder what toll it's taking on a person's life. Well, the the big error here too is to see these things as separate because they're not. They're the whole thing is connected. It's one. So a leader who is extraordinarily successful but has a terrible relationship at home is kidding himself or herself if they come to work thinking it doesn't show. Mm-hmm. And what's more, you know, that's the negative side. On the positive side, if they're very successful in business, how much more successful would they be if they had a champion at home that loved them, that they were passionate about, that they had intimate relationships with, and celebrated their own joy and happiness and vice versa. How much better would that be? It would be much more inspiring, and therefore, why think of it as separate? Mm-hmm. In fact, if you wanted to be a better leader, be a better partner. The result will be that you'll be a better leader. I agree. And I think a lot of leadership skills actually are part of what makes a person a partner. That's that's a valuable partner. I think that um, when you look at what makes a person highly successful, and if you can apply the same skills in business as you do in your love relationships, um, including taking responsibility um, for your actions, um, having a vision, all, all the things that make a person a good leader, um, I, think, I think so many of them apply to being a good partner in, in a love relationship. And it's actually... It's what I'm looking for in my second marriage um, mm-hmm. is, is a lot of those leadership skills. Um, right. Have you found that well, to be true as well? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, let me just flip into the leadership part of my life for a minute. So, we, you know, there are 120,000 books on leadership on Amazon.com. There's every kind of conceivable MBA program and so on on, on leadership. We're spending billions of dollars on leadership, and every way you look, leadership is broken. Whether it's Wall Street or healthcare or politics, uh, Washington, uh, the corporate world, the church—I mean, it doesn't matter where you look. Leadership is broken all over the place. And the mistake, I think, is that we've been working with leadership thinking as a technical subject, that where we say, "Okay, here are the six things a great leader does," you know, and so on. Well, first, the first discovery I have made in my work is that it's not about leadership anyway. It's about inspiration. You know, great organizations, great leaders are inspiring. People go to work because they're inspired to go to work. They relate with others in their marriages, for example, as long as they're inspiring, and as soon as they no longer are inspiring, they leave them. Inspiration is the core of everything. So we we eat food that inspires us. We drink stuff that inspires us. We go to movies that inspire us. We read books that inspire us. We hang out with people that inspire us. We marry people that inspire us. And we work for companies that inspire us. We buy products that inspire us and so on. 
Mm-hmm. Well, then the next thing about this that one needs to realize, and I think this is where the dots get connected, is that actually it's all about a relationship. You know, I shop at Starbucks because I have a relationship with Starbucks. I fly Southwest Airlines because I have a relationship with Southwest Airlines. I buy a certain product or, or I have an iPhone or a PC or whatever it is because I have a relationship there. The deeper that relationship is, the more powerful the customer experience is. The deeper the relationship for an employee with their own company, the stronger the contribution they make. Therefore, you know, in the end, when we tie all this together, leadership is about inspiration, and inspiration is about powerful relationships. Now we're back to square one. That's true in your marriage, and it's true in IBM. Hmm. That's pretty clear. <laughs> so we have to work on inspiring and creating great relationships. And I think, you know, when you look at how businesses um, grow, so many people market in the wrong way as well. I mean, they're marketing Absolutely. not to build, right? And I see it I see it in online dating, and I'll, I'll bring it back to relationships here, where somebody will connect with the first message that has nothing to do with connection. And, yeah. you know, so they're not building. They're just throwing it out there. They're, they're fishing with a fishing line. They want to hook you in. But right. they don't—they don't connect to anything personal. They don't tell you why they were uniquely drawn to your profile, and you know this is all relationship building. We just have to really work on on these skills, right. and they're so basic. Let me give you two million dollar questions. This is like sure. the price of entry is worth these two questions alone. The first question is: Is it inspiring? Is what I just said inspiring? If it isn't. Mm-hmm. You're going backwards. Is the agreement you have with your wireless phone company inspiring? Is the way you get treated when you go to the airport by the airline inspiring? And so on. Every time we do anything, when we sit down with our kids at dinner, is it inspiring? That's one question. The second question I, I use with corporations all the time is think about the performance review. The performance review in most corporations is a dreaded, horrible experience by everyone, by the one, the person that does the performance review and the person who's receiving it. It's a nasty, critical, judgmental, uh, knuckle, uh, white knuckle kind of experience for a lot of people. Now, the question is this. Would you do this with your spouse? Would you sit down with your spouse and say, okay, honey, uh, it's that time for our performance review. We do this every six months, and I'm going to give you uh, some questions, and I'm going to assess how well you did over the last six months, and your income over the next six months is going to depend a bit on how that conversation goes. I mean, you'd be fired in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. So corporate people need to understand, how would you treat your spouse? Because that's how you need to treat employees. Well, I think a lot of them don't know how to treat their spouse, so you have to get to that one first. (laughs) Sure, sure. But you wouldn't try that, would you? No. Even if you were very clunky in your relationship, you wouldn't try that. Right. Well, I think that people don't know how to give feedback in general. I think that's also a very high-level skill. And Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm a member of Toastmasters, and one of the biggest skills that I've developed is becoming a good evaluator. Because mm-hmm. when you when you give somebody feedback to help build them up instead of pull them down and shame them, <laughs> um, a person can yeah. grow. Right. And so it's 
just like you would with your spouse. If you have some feedback you want to give your spouse, you want to do it in a positive way to help build and connect, not disconnect and right. um, and shame. Right. So, um, yeah, I think people need major, uh, major work in communication skills and evaluation skills and all of that. Um, so how do you become more inspiring? <laughs> well, I think you have to think through... Will this make the person bigger or smaller? Mm-hmm. And when you're with someone and you say, I don't like your hair, or uh, you don't look very good in whatever you're wearing, or whatever critical comment you want to make, you need to pause, think, will this person be bigger or smaller as a result of what I'm about to say? Robert Greenleaf had a wonderful uh, quote. He said, Will what I'm about to say improve on the silence? Mm. And that's really the guiding rule for this conversation. Now, if I want to say to somebody, I don't like your dress, how am I going to say that in a way that actually makes them feel better? Now, I'm not saying this is easy either. And the first few times, it's very hard. But eventually, it's the only way you do it. You just get into a rhythm where that's the only way you do it. Now, imagine two people doing this all the time with each other. It's very uplifting. Yes, and it's very honest and authentic. And mm-hmm. I think that so many people are afraid to say the truth because they don't know how to say it. And In a way that um, doesn't wound. <clears throat> right. Yes, yes. And that's, that's a big part of my coaching um, is right. to help people have those communication, ha- have those conversations with grace, with dignity, and to, to stay connected. Um, well, we could we could talk about this for about another five hours, <laughs> but unfortunately <laughs> we don't have that time. Um, well, let's let's so, do it again. <laughs> yes, I would love to. Um, even just talking about leadership and relating it to um, building better relationships is such a mm-hmm. such a rich conversation. So thank right. you so much for coming on the show today and sharing your wisdom with us. And I'm so glad that you're able to keep Trisha's memory alive with this wonderful book. And I hope that many, many readers will be inspired. Um, So tell people, please, how they can find the book and find you. Well, uh, you can find it on all of the uh, Internet sites, Amazon and so on. Uh, it's, It's called A Love Story, an Intimately Personal Memoir. And uh, you can, uh, it's called, as I say, a love story, and it's available also on our website, which is secretan.com, S-E-C-R-E-T-A-N.com. And uh, all good bookstores, if you ask for it, well, they will stock it and have it too. Awesome. Well, also thank you, Lance. Kindle. Okay, perfect. And not on Audible yet? <laughs> not yet, but I'm working on it. Okay. That. All yeah. right. Um, Thank you again, and I wish you the best of luck. And um, thank you, everybody, for listening in today. And I hope you all go on your last first date. Have a great day. Bye-bye. I hope so, too. Bye-bye.